Hey, this is Kofi Edeboyan here with episode three of the Deep Out of podcast. I wanted to record this small little segment right from the beginning because unfortunately, in the export process, something went a little weird with this episode. And so you'll hear a part about 21, 22 minutes in where it got a little garbled. And I wanted to apologize. You know, I tried to put out a quality product with this podcast and you know sometimes these things happen thankfully i went back and listened to it it doesn't really affect the meaning of the sentence too much but in the words of the age-old cliche it's not you it's me i hope you enjoy this episode Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are listening to this. This is episode number three of the Deep Dive Discipleship Podcast, the podcast devoted to discussing the discipleship crisis in the 21st century church and charting a way forward. Kofi Edboyan here, your servant in Jesus Christ, and I am so, 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 so excited to be back with you. This is episode three, like I just said, and actually it's the first episode that I've recorded since the podcast launched. Now, some of you may listen to that and say, wait a minute. This is episode three. Well, episodes one and two I recorded a few months ago, and these were dry runs, if you will, of what I wanted to do with the podcast. I liked them, and so I kept them, and they became episodes one and two. Well, this is the first one since we started, and I have to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened, got in touch, subscribed. The response I've gotten from folks has been nothing short of incredible. I I wasn't really expecting it. You know, this is a new podcast i'm relatively unknown in this particular space but the response i've gotten from folks you know across the board has been incredibly positive and so i'm really honored and hope that hey as we go on this journey together through this podcast that i can continue really to offer the great insights and thoughts that i've been able to share up to this point Well, this particular episode, I want to zero in on a really important part of discipleship that I think doesn't really get much play. I titled this episode, The Heart of the Disciple. The Heart of the Disciple. And really, I want to think about the pursuit of Jesus as we think about this subject of discipleship. You know, the temptation often is to think that discipleship is just about learning more stuff. And there's definitely a strong learning component to the subjects of discipleship. What I want to, well, what I want to get to in this episode is to really hit at what I think is the real heart of discipleship, which is that discipleship is ultimately about our getting to know Jesus better. That discipleship ultimately is about growing in likeness to and love for Christ. Really, I'm taking apart that definition I gave in the last episode for discipleship, and I'm zeroing in 
on the lifelong and heart pursuit part of that definition. If you missed that definition, it will be in the show notes. And I'd encourage you to go back and listen to episode two, where we did a little bit of a discipleship 101 and talked about some of the basics of what discipleship is. Like I said, I really want to focus in on the heart behind discipleship. And in this episode, I really want to focus in on just one verse of scripture. So if you have a Bible nearby, which you may want to have one for me to do this podcast because you never know when I'm going to start digging into a text today being one of those days. So if you've got a Bible nearby, take it and turn with me to Philippians chapter three, Philippians chapter three. Philippians is one of those great positive letters from the Apostle Paul. You know, he's not really dealing with a bunch of problems in the church like he is in some of his other letters. There are one or two, but he kind of does them in a very gentle way. And as we come to Philippians chapter three, Paul has been talking about his testimony, actually. He's been kind of going through how he came to know the Lord and what his life was like prior to knowing Christ and the transformation that came from knowing him. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I think Paul gives us in one very short sentence what I think is the heart of the true disciple, what I believe is the heart of every person who knows and loves our Lord Jesus. And so what we're going to do is very simply look at this one verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, and we're going to see some heart attitudes, some heart postures that should characterize the biblical disciple. If we say that we are pursuing discipleship and likeness to Jesus, then these things are going to be present in our lives. So hope you've had enough time to pull it up in your Bible. I've got an ESV study Bible nearby. And so that's what I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter three and verse 10. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death like I said there are a few heart postures that we can learn from the apostle Paul in this one sentence that he says and so I don't want to take too much time let's get straight to work first of all Paul after talking about the fact that he he desires to grow in that righteousness that comes by faith, that he has no righteousness of himself, he says in verse 10, first of all, that he desired to know him, him being Christ. First and foremost, the biblical disciple desires above all to know and serve Christ. The biblical disciple above all desires to know and serve Christ. For the biblical disciple, discipleship is not just a academic endeavor. This is not just a curriculum that I get through so I can get my little certificate of achievement at the end and be able to say, see, I passed this program. The true biblical disciple longs to know Jesus. There's a phrase, I believe is in John's gospel, that whenever I read it, I kind of pause and think about some Greeks come to Jesus and they want to meet with him and they go to one of the disciples and the disciple says, well, what can I do for you? And he, they say, sir, we would see Jesus. That's the posture of the heart disciple. The, you know, the disciple of Christ who truly wants to follow Christ from the heart wants to know him. He wants to know his person. The fact that he 
was eternal, that he has dwelt with the Father and the Spirit from the beginning, that he and the Father have been in a beautiful and wonderful love relationship from before time began, that he is the creator, that he is the one who formed all things, that all things exist for him and by him, that he is the sustainer, that before he came into the world, he was sustaining the world. But not only do we want to know him as eternal, we want to know him as incarnate, that he took on flesh, that he entered into our world, that he added to his divine nature a human nature and united with that human nature perfectly and eternally. That he bore all the pains and the sufferings of the human existence, of the human experience. And yet in doing so, he was without sin. The heart disciple wants to know the Christ who was not disconnected from the pains and struggles of life. But as Hebrews says, he is, I'm a King James baby, so bear with me, I've got it memorized in that, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That he, he knows our struggles. He knows the pains that we go through. That he went to the cross. That he bore in his body the penalty that was due for our sin. But not only does the heart disciple want to know Christ in his past eternity, in his incarnation, but he also wants to know Christ as he's exalted now. He desires to know the Savior who sits at the right hand of God the Father, who intercedes on his behalf, who upholds all things by his powerful word, who is God's King installed on Zion, and who one day will return to rule and to reign in power that's the heart of the disciple first and foremost the reason why we pursue discipleship and we pursue likeness to jesus is primarily because we want to know him you know if you come to thinking about discipleship and you come to this with a sense of well i don't want to be one of those weak christians i i i, I want to assert myself as a strong christian you've missed the point of discipleship entirely Discipleship is not about strong people becoming stronger. Discipleship is about weak people recognizing their need for growth in the Savior. And so first and foremost in discipleship, we want to pursue ever increasing likeness to Jesus. And we can't do that if we don't know him. It's important then that a big part of our discipleship focuses on the person and work of Christ. We have to be truly Christocentric. And this is where I do need to make a plug for knowing our theology a little bit, because we can't come to know somebody without knowing things about them. Those of you who are listening to this who are married can affirm this, that if you didn't know things about your wife or your husband, you can't say that you've come to know them. And so it becomes really important for us as Christians that we do give time to thinking about, from a theological perspective, Christology. If you have no idea where to start with that, may I recommend a few resources to you? Uh, Reformation Heritage Books recently just reprinted a classic work on the person and the work of Christ. They've updated it and made it more accessible to a modern audience. It's called The Fountain of Life. It's, I think they have it in two volumes. I have the original one volume from Flavel. 
And there he expounds the glorious person and the work of Christ and shows why Christ is indeed the fountain of all spiritual life. I highly recommend that. If you want something that's a little simpler to get into, there's a book by a British pastor called Stuart Olliott, O-L-Y-O-T-T, and I'll include a link to this in the show notes. A book called Jesus is Both God and Man. Highly recommend that as a very simple, accessible treatment of the person of Christ. And of course, I, I would be remiss if I didn't recommend uh, Pastor Mark Jones's wonderful book, Knowing Christ, published by the Banner of Truth Trust. Again, just some extended devotional treatments of the person and the work of Christ and how we can grow to know him better. As a heart disciple, we need to regularly give time to the thought and the meditation of who Jesus is. And so that's the first thing that you know we need to be able to say that I have come to know him. Not just intellectually, yes, we start there, but also experientially in meditating and in feasting on who he is and what he's done for us. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say that, he desires to know him. Do you know there in the text, if you've still got it in front of you, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection? That's the second heart posture of the disciple. The disciple doesn't just long to know about the person of Christ. He also longs to know the power of Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm regularly confronted with the reality of my own weakness. I am regularly confronted with the fact that there are things that I don't know and there are things that I can't do in and of myself. And in those moments, the follower of Jesus needs to be reminded that any power that we have comes from him. Jesus himself said it in John chapter 15. He said that without me, you can do nothing. It's not enough for us to just go through the Christian life and even pursue the spiritual disciplines, which we'll do a future episode on. It's not enough for us to just do that and just do it in our own strength and just kind of muster up the willpower and make it happen. One of the beautiful things that we have as believers is the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. He's the one who, the Holy Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And Romans chapter 8 tells us that if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, he will also give life to our mortal bodies. And he's not talking about the resurrection in the future there. He's talking about in the here and the now, a perceptible day-by-day empowerment to live life to the glory of God. And some of us may hear that and say, ooh, that sounds kind of spooky and mystical. I, I, I honestly don't mean in that kind of a sense. I believe that the Spirit of God uses means. I believe that You know, he uses the word of God and prayer and Christian fellowship. And these are the means that the spirit of God uses to empower the Christian. So I'm I'm not talking a immediate and I mean immediate in the sense of there is no means. I, I don't mean that kind of an immediate experience. What I do mean, though. Is that the believer knows that I am living all of life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And. If that's not our experience, we may need to ask why, because we have been given the fullness of the spirit in coming to know Christ. I personally take the view that there is no second baptism or blessing of the Holy Spirit that needs to be sought. What the believer needs 
is to come into a greater awareness of the power and the strength that has already been given to him in Christ. Or to her, of course. Ladies, I'm not excluding you. But we cannot pursue discipleship we cannot pursue growth in christ likeness if we do not know the power and the empowerment of the holy spirit in this regard one of the books that's been so helpful to me over the years has been uh, john MacArthur's little book the silent shepherd where he deals with what does the bible teach about the ministry of the holy spirit from a more positive vantage point you know i think one of the unfortunate things that's happened in recent years is that we talk about the personal work of the Holy Spirit and we immediately start arguing about spiritual gifts. Now I have a take on that subject and it may come up in this podcast. We'll see how it goes. But at the end of the day, I think bigger than that issue is simply knowing the strength and the power that is available to the Christian, especially in the pursuit of discipleship through the giving of the spirit that has taken place through the person and the work of christ and paul says coming back to our text here in philippians 3 that he wants to know not just christ but to know the power of his resurrection i think it's interesting that he words it that way the power of his resurrection christ died he was in the grave for three days but then he went from being dead to being alive as he was raised from the dead by the power of god's spirit to the glory of the father in that regard, when Paul uses this language here of knowing the power of his resurrection, he's being very intentional. He's saying, listen, just as Jesus was dead and he received new life, I want to know that power in my own experience, that I may regularly be receiving a infusion of spiritual life through the ministry of the Spirit. And again, that, that might sound a little weird, that might sound a little uncomfortable given the way that we think, but it's not foreign to the way the New Testament thinks. That's why Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 5 that we should be being filled with the Spirit. That there is a filling of the Spirit that we must pursue so that we can walk as the people of God. And we'll dig actually a little deeper in future episodes into the subject of the Holy Spirit's role in discipleship. Because I think that's a critical component to the discipleship discussion that doesn't often come up. But I, I must hasten on. I don't want to spend too long here. Paul says that he desired to know Christ. He desired to know the power of his resurrection. He also says that he desires, you see it there in the text, if you've got it in front of you, and may share in his sufferings. This is where it gets really uncomfortable. Oh, I, I don't know about the whole suffering deal. Uh, suffering, that sounds kind of intense. I think as human beings, we have a natural bent towards wanting to avoid suffering of wanting to not be hurt and that's not always a bad thing but the reality is if we say we're going to walk with jesus we're not going to escape what jesus endured which as hebrews chapter 12 tells us he endured suffering now let's be clear our suffering is not redemptive in the way jesus's suffering was redemptive it's a different category of suffering altogether but if we are going to follow Jesus, we're going to take up the cross. And when Jesus uses that language of taking up the cross, it's interesting. Because taking up your cross was basically going to die. It was taking up your cross with the acknowledgement, I might be taking this thing up the hill, but I'm not, I'm not coming back down with it. <laughs> 
you know, I, I think one of the great failures of the modern church, especially as we have, uh, you know, abandoned the pursuit of biblical discipleship is we've not taught people how to suffer well. We've not taught people the reality that, listen, suffering is a part of this thing we call the Christian life. As it were, we've kind of told people that, hey, come to Jesus. He'll make your life great. Oh, you got problems with your husband? He'll help you deal with that. Your kids out of line? Don't worry. He'll make your kids into really nice, responsible kids. Just come to Jesus and everything in your life will sort itself out. Now, let's be clear. Coming to Jesus does transform one's life. And coming to Jesus does indeed bring about radical life altering change but let's be clear coming to jesus also means that the world that we were once a part of now turns on us that the world that we used to be embraced by no longer embraces us and part of discipleship is i think not just teaching people to follow jesus and to know the spirit's power it's also teaching people how to suffer well you know, I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, but I really do believe that we are heading as a culture into a period and a season of persecution. And I don't say that because of political upheavals or what have you. I mean, that's not where our hope is. But what we see is a continual rising up of evil, a continual rising up of opposition, not just to basic morality in general, but the Christian gospel and the message that it preaches of a triune God who is lawgiver, judge and king. As we see that in our culture and as we are aware of that, I think one of the things that true discipleship has to entail is helping people to realize that, listen, suffering is a part of the Christian life. That as the Apostle Paul told the disciples when he went back and was, you know, in fact, let me read that. Um, Acts chapter 14, if you give me a moment just to turn there. In Acts chapter 14, there's an interesting little phrase that's there as Paul is going back through the churches that he had planted in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, verse 22 tell, 21 tells us in Acts 14. Verse 22 says that he does this strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We don't float into the kingdom of God on cloudy beds of ease, friends. We are heading towards a kingdom that is going to require of us at times suffering and hardship. That's why Paul can tell Timothy, listen, Timothy, endure hardship, endure difficulty as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And yes, Timothy was a minister, and so he was going to take some of that more than let's be clear. Not ministers who endure suffering all of us on some level are going to endure suffering and so we need to be prepared well and the heart posture of the disciple is here's what's interesting coming back to philippians 3 we don't view suffering disconnected from christ did you catch that paul says that i may share in his sufferings the word for share there is an interesting word it's to partake of to identify with he says listen i don't view my sufferings as disconnected from my walk with jesus no 
I'm praying and I'm seeking that I may continue to share, to partake of, to hold a stake in his sufferings. Why was he willing to say that? Why was it that Paul would look essentially and say, look, I, I want I want the smoke, if you will. I want the sufferings that I may share in it. Well, the reason why he says that he wants to share in it, looking back at our text, did you, did you catch that? That I may share, I may share many sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You can't become like Jesus if you've not suffered like him. Suffering is one of the great tools that God uses in our lives to make us more like Christ. You know, one of my favorite verses in this regard comes to us in Peter's first letter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Uh, I have it marked up in a number of my Bibles because I find it so, so helpful to think about often. 1 Peter 5.10, excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10. 1 Peter 5.10, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, he says, The God of grace... Oh, I love this. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Why does God send sufferings our way? For four reasons. Number one, to confirm, well, first, excuse me, to restore us. Kind of jumped the gun there. Suffering comes to us as the people of God precisely to restore us, to get us back on track. Because we realize that the more comfortable things get, the more likely we are to move away from closeness to Jesus. I think there's a dual sense in which restore is used here. There's a sense of being brought into closer conformity to our sufferings. As a result, excuse me, of our sufferings to Christ. I think there's also the sense here of the loss that we receive in suffering is made up for. Now, it may not be like for like, you know, we may not experience what Job experienced where he gets even better than what he had. But whatever is taken out of us, as it were, as a result of suffering, we make that back up. But he doesn't just say that God will restores the second he will confirm us i mean how often do we give thought to the fact that suffering proves that we are part of christ's family that suffering proves that we are a true and living part of the people of god i mean jesus said he said listen if the world hated me they're going to hate you could it be that part of the reason why there are so many Christians that the world doesn't hate is because the world recognizes that they sound just like them? And again, I, I'm not trying to excuse Christians behaving like jerks or Christians being mean because we don't want to encourage meanness and disrespect and a lack of winsomeness for the faith. We, we, we don't want to deny that. But at the same time, we cannot Press the claims of King Jesus in a culture that hates him and not experience pushback. And so there was a very real sense in which God uses sufferings to confirm us as his children. But not only does he use suffering to restore and confirm, but he says after we've suffered, he will himself strengthen us. 
There's a language of strength again. He makes us stronger. You know, as we kind of take on the weight, as it were, the weight cuts us and shreds us, but it makes us stronger as well. And so in a very real sense, as believers, when we encounter trials, trials do have a strengthening effect. I believe it's what James says but in one piece. I'll just turn there because it's a page over in the book of James. And what James says in his first chapter when he says that very weird thing of you're supposed to consider it all joy when you go through or count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds. But look what he says in verse four, he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't it amazing that the intended purpose of suffering is that we would be perfect and complete not missing anything so again we don't run from suffering yes we don't go courting it unnecessarily we don't suffer for you know the lack of righteousness but if we know that god uses our sufferings to make us more like christ then we can pray like paul prays and we can be like what peter says here finally he says that he would himself establish us as a result of going through trials I mean, we all know the experience of going through a trial and seeing God's hand at work. And as a result, being able to say, wow, God stuck by me. God was there with me in that. And it, sh and it establishes us. It gives us a further grounding in the faith. And that's why suffering is so important. And that's why I think Paul could say, coming back to our text in Philippians, that I want to share in his sufferings. And note how he ends it off. He says, that I be sharing sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Wow. That, as Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says, that the son learned obedience by the things he suffered. Well, that's how we learn obedience. We learn true followership when it feels as the author, to, author in the New Testament puts it, that, you know, for his sake, we are being slaughtered like sheep all the day long. You know, those words are first said about Christ, but he's able to say, well, that's our experience as the people of God, too. And so in a very real sense, the heart of the disciple really comes to the fore as we go through sufferings, as we come to know him, as we come to know Christ in his person and his work, as we come to know the empowerment that comes through the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And as we partake of, have our stake in his sufferings. That's the true heart of the disciple. Before we start talking about theology and method and doctrine and ideas, we have to get back to the basics of the heart of discipleship. And I think that's why discipleship has hit such a hard time. Because I think for so many, there's just a lack of a heart appetite for this. There's a lack of a desire to be like Jesus. You know, years of what Walter Chantry called the synthetic gospel has, I think, at times inoculated us to the calling of being followers of Jesus in every area of life and being willing to take on that cost. But, beloved, if we stop stuffing ourselves, as it were, with the junk of this world, my hope is that we would start to develop a appetite for true discipleship.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Deep Dive Discipleship Podcast. For more Bible lessons and studies from my archive, I invite you to visit the website at www.deepdivediscipleship.com. If you want to continue this conversation, social media is the best way to do that. Follow me personally on social media at a cup of coffee. That's A C U P O F K O F I. Think of a cup of coffee, but with coffee. Or visit our social media handles for the podcast we are on instagram at deep dive discipleship we are on twitter at the d3 pod the d number three pod thank you so much for listening and until next time don't stay in the shallows let's dive deep together god bless